Amen. Praise his name. Let's all uh, get our Bibles out this morning. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Back in our series on, in the book of Luke. This is Jesus. Stand together as you find your place there. A couple weeks ago we studied the account of Jesus selecting his 12 apostles. And I'm thankful for that study. It's sometimes when you get to the, that portion of the text you're just not sure what's going to come from it. And I was encouraged uh, by what we saw in the last passages there in Luke. And uh, I'm thankful that God can use anyone. And as we look at those disciples, we see all kinds of different characters from all kinds of different places. And uh, God used many of them greatly. Some of them you would not have thought were, would be able to be used as they did. They wrote portions of scripture, saw many saved from their ministry. But all we need to be, do in our life is do what God's told us to do, be faithful to it. And he can use you despite your past, your limitations, your weaknesses. It is a privilege to serve God. And we're about to see Jesus here preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and there are certain people that would I like to argue that this isn't the Sermon on the Mount, because you look there in verse 17, and it says he was on a, went down into a plain. But if you go to that portion of Israel, you can see they, would, they could be there on the Mount. On the top of the Mount, there's a plain there still, high, high elevation above Capernaum. And uh, if you want to call it the Sermon on the Plain here, you can, but I believe it is both of them, the one we find in Matthew here and Luke as well. And uh, we have a picture of the area there in your bulletin you can look at here in a little bit of, the, of a possible place that might have been preached from, but one of the most famous sermons ever recorded uh, of Jesus here. So let's read it here, Luke chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 17. It says, And he came down with them and stood in the plain in the company of his disciples, a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem, and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him. And to be healed of their diseases. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him. For there went virtue out of him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you and when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. But woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. Woe unto you, and all men shall speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. Looking here at some blessings to our human eye that don't really look like blessings, do they? I want to talk to you this morning, preach to you for a little bit on the, the sermon title, Uncommon Blessings. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for the privilege it is to be here together today. And God, I pray that you would... Uh, Lord, be with me as I preach. God, I need you. God, I need your spirit. I need your power this morning. And I pray that you would fill me, God, to be able to preach this text clearly, Lord, as you would have it to be preached today. Lord, be with our church this morning, all of us, Lord, in the pews here with a desire to please you, Lord, in being here today and praise you and worship you together. But God, as we're in your right now, God, I pray that we would be exhorted, we'd be helped, we'd be fed uh, by your word. God, bless us today, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The account of the Sermon on the Mount we have here in Luke is an abbreviated one. And as we look at this message, and as we look at the account there in Matthew, this message isn't about salvation. 
It isn't a message on social reform. It's a message on the Christian life and how it needs to be lived. There are specific instructions on what we can do right now as we are waiting on Jesus to come back and get us. And people may use a portion of this text for various social reasons and try to encourage people with them. But the proper context of this message is for those that are already saved, the church. You know, Jesus deals with the topic of a blessed life here. And I would think if I was to ask us this morning who wants a blessed life, I would hope that all of us would raise our hands with that a true desire from our hearts. I don't think anybody would say they don't want to be blessed. And when we say blessings in our, in our earthly minds and in our flesh, when we say blessings, many different things come to mind. One thing we could think of this morning are possessions. We could think of our family and the blessing it is to have family and, and children and, and those who love you. What a blessing it is to have a good job or to have certain memories or to have certain experiences with people you love and care about. An act of kindness maybe someone did for you is a a blessing. Something monetary that has come your way is a blessing. As we look at our world, so many people are seeking those blessings. People are going, living in this world that we live in and they are seeking fulfillment. They are seeking purpose. They are seeking the blessings that could come from this world But we will never find true blessing in this temporal world. We will only find it in the things that are eternal. You know, the sermon here was preached to a large group of people, including all types of people. First of all, we understand the 12 apostles were there. It says there in that text, he preached to the 12. Then there were other disciples that were there. A great multitude of disciples and true followers of Jesus. And then there were also, as there always were, many curious people that were just interested in hearing what Jesus had to say. And this crowd was there for many different reasons. One reason was they wanted to be taught by Jesus. It says there in verse 17, they came to hear him. They came to hear what he had to say. People were seeking the truth. And in the world that we live in, we, people want the truth. People are going to different sources for, for what they think is the truth. But all of us want don't, none of us want to be fooled. None, none of us want to just be drug along with, with some false information. We want truth. And in the world we live in, we need to preach the truth of the word of God. And, and here as a church, our, our, our greatest desire in preaching is not to preach our own mindset, our own philosophies, but those things that line up with the word of God. They not only came to be taught by Jesus, but they also came to be healed by Jesus. They believed he had the authority to heal. And as we're going through the book of Luke, we've, ju- we've seen uh, just that. He is capable. Our God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And there may be a struggle in your life right now at this moment. Our, our God, Jesus, has the ability to heal. Jesus has the ability to get you through those difficult circumstances. But he not only heals physically, he brings healing spiritually. They came to be healed. They came to have demons cast out. It says there in verse 18, he, there were people there that were vexed with unclean spirits. And they were vexed means they were troubled or, or, or possessed by those demons. And Jesus was the one, not only with the authority to heal, but the authority to cast demons out. He was their only hope. And this crowd is one that followed him, not just here to the Sermon on the Mount. They followed him all over the place in all types of different people, all types of need. Different levels of service, different levels of faith. And to a crowd just like what we have in here this morning, Jesus began to share his sermon of the Beatitudes. A sermon of blessings. Sounds pretty good. 
Sometimes we go to church and we and uh, sometimes the, the preacher may just be focused on sin for a lot and, he, and it makes you feel bad about yourself at times, which it should. The Bible should reveal those things that are there. But, you know, nobody uh, is too upset about somebody preaching some blessings to them or something encouraging, right? We're talking this morning about spiritual blessings. Blessings in the life of a Christian, spiritual well-being, not necessarily earthly prosperity. And I want God's blessings for my life. I want his blessings for my family. I want his blessings on this church, and I want to receive them and hear about them. And as we look at these blessings, and we may look at this and hear a sermon on blessings sounds good. We, we may expect certain things from it, as we, we just referenced a moment ago. But we also need to recognize that God doesn't think like us. God's plan isn't always our plan. God's way of doing things isn't always our way of doing things. And some of the things that God would call a blessing and what Jesus here is preaching to them and and revealing to them are true blessings or blessed lives, they are uncommon. What's the first one we look at this morning? We see there in verse 20, the blessing of poverty. The blessing of poverty. There in verse 20, he says, he lifted up his eyes on the disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Jesus said, if you're poor, you're blessed. He wasn't just telling them that the poor were more righteous than the rich. We know that there's many poor people in this world that we live in that are unrighteous. There's many uh, unrighteous ways to become poor. Many sinful habits, many sinful activities and choices have taken people to a level of of deep poverty. We know that. But Jesus is, is saying here, if you are poor, you are blessed. Someone once said, you either worship your wealth or you worship with your wealth. Jesus here says, blessed be the poor. Why would he make a statement like that? Looking at this and understanding what the text is saying, some things must be realized this morning. First of all, someone that is a poor person has an understanding of their circumstances, of their true circumstances. That word poor there is a definition, those destitute of wealth, but also What Jesus was implying here was those destitute of eternal riches. And he wasn't just referring to those who are physically poor. He was referring to those who are spiritually helpless. And he wanted them to realize the poverty of their souls. You know, what do we know about the mindset of the Jews at this point? You know, we've looked back at the Pharisees quite often here in the last couple months. And we've seen the mindset that these men had. And as they, they looked at themselves as spiritually elite. You know, they followed the law to a T, and many Jews had, had picked up on these traits and that mindset, and, and they were full of pride, they were haughty, they were arrogant. You know, many Jews carried themselves the same way because it was all about the law and how you carried it out, and they saw themselves as better than those surrounding them that weren't like them. But Jesus is preaching to these people, and he says, those who realize they need me are blessed. You know, in the world that we live in, In the country that we live in, there are many different people in need, aren't there? But as we look at our country, as we look at our society, as we may look at Midland, Texas this morning, there's also a lot of people who think they have all that they need. But Jesus is saying, those who realize they need me are blessed. The Bible tells us our sin puts us in a position that we are not enough. And we can never be enough. It doesn't matter how much we could attain in this world. But our world teaches us that we are enough. Our society pushes this attitude of of self-affirmation and a a great amount of self-worth. But I want to tell you this morning, you are never enough without Jesus. We, We can't go to heaven without him. 
The Bible says there are none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says all fall short of the glory of God because of our sin. And it doesn't matter how much knowledge you could attain. It doesn't matter how many riches you could bring in in this world. You will always need Jesus. You know, beyond your need for salvation in your Christian life this morning, you are not enough. Now think of our theme for this year, Zechariah 4.6. It's not by might, it's not by military strength, it's not by power, it's not by your personal strength, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. It's not about what we are able to do in ourselves or what we are able to do as a group of people. And as we look at our church this morning, we have a great desire to reach the lost and to do things in this community for the cause of Christ. But it's not about what we can do, it's about what God can do through us. And if we're going to be a blessed people, if we're going to be a blessed church, we will be people that realize we need God. We are never enough without him. Christian, never think you are enough without Jesus. You need him every day in your life. We need to do things by his spirit. You know, many of us need a better understanding of our true circumstances to be seen as blessed. The realization of our need of Christ. Because those who realize their need have received salvation. Those who trust in self or riches are going to be disappointed. But those who trust in Jesus, the Bible says, will inherit the kingdom of God. But there's a woe here at the end of this, this sermon. He says there in verse 24, he not only says, blessed are you that are, blessed ye be poor, that are poor, he says, woe unto you that are rich, <laughs> for you have received your consolation. Those who trust in riches are going to be disappointed. Over and over again in his ministry, Jesus cautioned the rich, and there were people who thought they could purchase their own salvation. There were people who thought they could purchase everything they needed to find fulfillment in that alone. But the Bible says we are not saved of ourselves in the book of Ephesians, not of works, not of yourselves. Riches or works are never enough for salvation. You know, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, which giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Everything you have is not because of you. Everything you have is because of God. And the sooner we realize that, the better off we are going to be in our spiritual life, in our blessings, in our joy, in our contentment. He said, blessed be the poor. So we see, first of all, the blessing of poverty. Second thing this morning, the blessing of hunger. He says there in verse 21, Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. That word hunger is to literally crave or, or metaphorically to crave. I, I think you can tell by looking at me, I, I'm not one that likes to be hungry. I, I, I get what many people may call hangry from time to time. I think I've, I think I've gained about 25 pounds since I became pastor here, and that Diet starts tomorrow, and I'm not, I'm not saying that as a joke. <laughs> None of us like to be hungry. But the hunger Jesus is talking about is not one that is a bad thing. It's one that's a good thing. Speaking of a spiritual hunger here for us, he's referring to a hunger for righteousness. We look in the sermon, the other uh, passages of the Sermon on the Mount there in the book of Matthew. He says, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. And we find something similar to that in the book of Psalms where it says, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? 
As I I just read that verse to you this morning, do you have a hunger or a thirst for God? When's the last time you woke up with a, a, a great need just to read his word? A great need just to talk to him for a little bit. A great need for his power in your life. A great need for his peace. Are you hungering for that? Is that something you are thirsty for? Is that something that you truly desire? Or is it something that we take for granted as we often do? You know, what Jesus is looking for this morning, what Jesus is saying is a life of true blessings are people who will simply just hunger and thirst for him. You know, the Bible tells us as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. I have a lot of experience with babies. We have five children, and, and those, those babies let you know when they're hungry. They will cry for that milk. They will cry for that food. And until that need is satisfied, they will continue to do that. And and in our spiritual life, do we desire the word of God? Do we desire fellowship with God? Do we desire the knowledge of God, the spirit of God in that same way? Is that your heart? Now we can look in the very first psalm this morning and we find another description of a blessed man there in chapter 1. It says, blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. And we look at that verse often and we need to reference it and, and, look, and, and look at it in, in line with our lives. But that second verse says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. So not only do we need to stay away from the things of this world, but we should delight in the law of God. We should delight in the the teachings of the word of God. We should delight in fellowship with our God. We tend to do those things or want those things we delight in. You desire what you delight in. You know, when you have a hunger for God, that verse tells us, That there can be a spiritual filling. He says, blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. That's a promise. The blessing of hungering after God is that God will fill you. The blessing of hungering after God is that God will give you that thing that you are needing or desiring of him. The Bible says, for he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry with goodness. We have a God who can satisfy the hungry soul. If we look there at verse 25, we see another woe. It says, woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. You know, the sad thing this morning is that we don't have as many hungry Christians as we should, but we do have a lot of Christians that are already full of other things. A lot of Christians that have all kinds of irons in the fire in all kinds of different places. Filling a desire in maybe the things we are most interested in. Those things that may make us happy for a little while. Maybe a sin or a temptation that we can't get over that stronghold. We need to make sure in our life we are not coming to God or coming to church or living our life already full of the things of this world. But we have a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. It says, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. The third thing this morning, there's not only blessings in being poor, there's not only blessings in being hungry, there's blessings in sorrow. Look at verse 21. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. 
The word weep is to mourn, to lament, a pain for something that's come. How can that, how can sorrow be a blessing? How can someone that is living in sorrow be a blessed person? How can that be a good thing for somebody? First good kind of sorrow is sorrow because of sin. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. The things Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians didn't really make the church of Corinth feel too good about themselves. But it led them to make good changes. It led them to repentance. As we look here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8, Paul is speaking to them about their feelings and what that sorrow brought in their life. Look there at verse 8 of chapter 7. It says, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent, for I perceived that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold the selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Wherefore I wrote it unto you. I did it not for his cause that had done the wrong, nor for his cause that suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. Therefore we are comforted in your comfort. Yea, and exceedingly the more joyed we for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. That first letter Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians, didn't make them feel good, but he says that sorrow they felt brought something good. You know, sorrow is the first proper response to sin. Not laughter. What does it say there? Blessed are you that weep now, for, for ye shall laugh, but look at the woe. He says, woe unto you that laugh now, in verse 25, for ye shall mourn and weep. Because those that are laughing now, those that are living with that laughter one day will mourn and weep because of the things they are finding funny. Those things they are laughing at. Now the Bible says fools make a mock at sin. Now I want to tell you this morning, count it a blessing when you sin and you feel sorrowful about it. And we're not talking about sorrow because you've been caught. We're talking about sorrow because you've sinned against God. And that is the true sorrow that can lead to repentance, as we just read about there in 2 Corinthians. You know, Paul said, I rejoice not that you were made sorry. I'm not rejoicing because you felt bad about yourself. I'm rejoicing that that sorrow that you felt because you were convicted brought a change in your life. And it is sorrow that can bring you back to God. You know, it's not a mindset we want to remain in. It's not a mindset of, of sorrow that we want to continually live in. But as God forgives you, that sorrow can then be turned into joy. That sorrow that you felt over sin as you are restored in your relationship with God can bring about a joy that will never be there in a life of sin. Who counted a blessing to be in sorrow over sin. 
Another area that we can find it a blessing to be sorrowful over is we can, should sorrow because of a burden. You know, a heavy heart will bring sorrow. And that's okay. It's okay for us to be burdened and have sorrow for some specific areas. First of all, it's okay for us to have sorrow for souls. You know, we should have a burden to see souls come to Jesus. You know, in Luke chapter 19, we'll get there, and after a while it says, And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. Jesus looked at this place and these people that were full of everything else except the thing that they needed. And he wept over that. You know, last week as we were in California, I met a man there that, talking to him on Monday. His name was Rick. He was in his early 70s. He told me he was saved at the age of 49, and his wife was saved just shortly after him. And as I was talking to him, I fell under conviction while I was talking to him because he began to tell me about his desire to be a witness everywhere he wanted. And he said there in a Christian bookstore, he led two different people to the Lord that bought something from him that week. And as he began to tell me these things, he's weeping as he's talking to me about these certain people he spoke to. And then he asked me to do something. He said, every day, first thing you do as you pray, ask God to give you compassion for souls. And, and as he told me to ask God to give me compassion for souls every day, he's, he's telling me this with tears all over his face. He's weeping as he's thinking about the need of the lost. He said, if you do that every day, it'll make a difference. Would you do that? Do you sorrow for souls? Do you have a compassion for the lost? You know, the Bible tells us in the book of Psalms, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. If we're going to reach the lost as God intends us to reach, there needs to be a compassion for the lost. Now I'm reminded of Jesus in Matthew chapter 9 when he saw the multitudes. What does it say about Jesus? He was moved with compassion because he saw them as sheep having no shepherd. And as he looked out on the people, he said, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Do we have a true compassion for the lost? As you go about in your lives here in Midland or Odessa, Andrews, wherever it may be, as you go out in your life each and every day, as you're going to go to work tomorrow, as you're going to go to the store later this week, do you have a compassion for the people you are interacting with? Do you have a burden for souls? Do you have a burden for that person across your street that is living without Christ? Do you have a burden for that family member without Jesus? Do we have compassion for the lost? Does it bring sorrow? What unsaved person in your life brings you to a point of sorrow like that. We can have sorrow for the lost. We also need to have sorrow for our country. It's okay to be burdened because of the decline we see in America. You know, in the Bible, we find people sorrowful over Jerusalem. You know, the, the psalmist wrote, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. They remembered what Zion, they remembered what Zion was like. And then they were now in Babylon and they were weeping because of what happened to their home. You know, we look at our nation and we see something different than we once saw. And we, we look at verse 25, it says, Woe unto you that are, are full, for, for they shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And we look at our country and there's a, we live in a country that makes a mock at sin. We live in a country that laughs at the things that God hates. We live in a society that, that makes sin a, a foolish thing or an acceptable thing or an okay thing or when somebody does something wrong, it's, it's comical. 
We should have a burden for the decline. We should have sorrow for the decline we see in, in people all around us. We understand this morning, God created male and female. God created man for woman and, and woman for the man. And we look at our world, we look at our country, and we see a lot of inordinate affection. And if we believe the Bible, and if we're standing on the Bible, it is not something that we make fun of. It's not something that we laugh at. It's, it's not something we accept or tolerate. It is something that should bring a biblical sorrow to our hearts. I saw a video last week of the Church of Satan tearing up Bibles in a ceremony, laughing at what they were doing. That should burden us. It should burden us to look at our community and see those lost in sin, to see homes torn apart by adultery, fornication, drugs, alcohol. It should burden us and bring sorrow to see children mistreated or children raised contrary to the ways of God. It should burden us to bring us to a point of praying for laborers. To pray for our church to be a light in the community, to pray for God to give us compassion for the lost, not just the ones that we can stomach, but every single person without Jesus. A sorrowful heart is one that is blessed. We need sorrow for sins, we need sorrow for our souls, for our country. The last area of sorrow I want to bring up, we can, it's okay to sorrow in a trial. God brings men into deep waters. Not to drown them, but to cleanse them. Trials aren't fun. Trials aren't hoped for. There's a lot of sorrow in a trial. We have much in the word of God that tells us that sorrow can be turned to laughter. You know, God can use trials to bring out great good in our life. You know, Peter wrote in his first letter, he said, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season... If need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. That sounds like a good outcome of a trial, doesn't it? Whom having not seen, ye love. And whom, though now you see him not, yet believing. The one that was in a trial, he says, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. In 1799, a man named Conrad Reed, he discovered a 17-pound rock while he was fishing there in the hills of, of North Carolina. And not knowing what it was made of, he thought it was a cool-looking rock. He brought it home, and they ended up using it as a doorstop for three years. Anybody that came by the house, they'd say, hey, look at this rock. It's a neat one, isn't it? And they would look at it together, and then after three years, his father, John Reed, took it to a jeweler there in the, the turn of the, of the 1800s and it was identified as a lump of coal worth $3,600 in that day, a fortune. That lump of gold was, that was used as a doorstop for three years in North Carolina is possibly the biggest nugget ever found east of the Rockies. Could you imagine the laugh they got out of that, finding that out? You know, until... It was determined to be gold. Its value was unknown. It was just a rock. And until the trial is over, many times its blessings are unknown. You know, God allows a trial into your life not to hurt you, but to strengthen you, to prove you. A true blessing can come in your life from those trials that God allows to come into your life. And it is then that God can turn that sorrow into laughter. So you see the blessing of poverty, the blessing of hunger, the blessing of sorrow. Lastly, the blessing of rejection. 
If you look there in verse 22, it says, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy. When we are opposed, or rejected, or hated, it may not make a lot of sense to us at the time, but Jesus told us we are blessed. There's blessings in the persecution. There's blessings in the opposition. There's this man on his 100th birthday that the news came out and they interviewed him. And they asked this man on his 100th birthday, they said, what are you most proud of? He sat there for a minute and he, he answered, he said, well, I don't have an enemy in the world. And the reporters just said, well, that's, that's, ins- that's inspirational, that's amazing. They said, what is the secret to that? And he said, well, I've, outli- I've outlived every last one of them. There will always be enemies to the Christian. You know, Jesus himself, he said, The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth. Because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. You know, Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus, what's the next word? Shall suffer persecution. If you're living for Jesus in the world, we can expect persecution to come. We can expect there to be opposition. We can expect for the the devil to try to intervene or to bring people to try to stop us or to hate us or to oppose us. We see it often. Anytime we see a public figure stand for the word of God or, or stand against what is sin, they are immediately persecuted in the day we live in. But the Bible says if we are persecuted for our faith, if we are opposed or rejected, For doing what God wanted us to do, we are blessed. And not only are we blessed, but our faithfulness will be rewarded. You continue there in verse 23, he says, For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. Our rejection in in the faithful life we live for God will be rewarded in heaven. You know, Peter wrote again in, in that, that first epistle, he said, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as some strange thing happen unto you. He says, When an opposition comes, when that persecution comes, when a difficult circumstance comes because you are serving God, don't, don't be shocked by it. Don't think, how in the world is this happening to me? I'm, I'm serving God. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Don't be surprised by that. Then he says, But rejoice. And so much as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be made glad also with exceeding joy. Blessings. No matter what you are going through today because of you live the life of a Christian, one day it will be rewarded. It will be worth it all. There's blessings in the rejection. Uncommon blessings. Poverty. Hunger, sorrow, and rejection. Now these blessings and these woes that we looked at this morning, they are designed to exalt what the world despises and reject what the world admires. And if we value what God values, it's going to set us apart from the world around us. If we look at these uncommon things, that poverty, that hunger, that sorrow, that rejection as blessings. We can be blessed even when we're poor because we understand Jesus is the only real treasure. We can be blessed even when we're hungry because we understand Jesus is the bread of life. We can be blessed even when we are weeping because we know that Jesus came to bring joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. 
We can be blessed this morning because even when we're friendless or when there's opposition because we know Jesus is the friend of sinners and he's told us he will never leave us nor forsake us. And we can be blessed when we are rejected or persecuted for the sake of the gospel because this morning we know he's worth it and it's worth it. To the unsaved person living in the flesh this morning, these uncommon blessings don't sound like blessings. You know, we look at the Apostle Paul, and he dealt with a lot of difficulties, a lot of trials. He had this thorn in the flesh that he, he asked God three times to remove from him. He wanted it gone. But you know what God told him? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. His grace is sufficient. He is enough. Sufficiency can't be found in anything in the world we live in. You will not find sufficiency in anything in this temporal world. But in these positions of uncommon blessings, we are assured that our sufficiency is of him. And his grace is all we need. What a promise. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning.